0: If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Timothy, and uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago we did some background on Paul and Timothy and how they came to know each other uh, through what Paul did uh, in, in, uh, in a couple of communities where Timothy grew up, and, uh, and then we spent last week looking at the first two verses of 1 Timothy, and today we'll, we'll dive into the third, maybe the fourth verse together. Let's go back and read the first two verses again, and Paul writes this letter, he's in prison. He's writing it to his, uh, his, his dear son uh, in the faith. As we said before, you, you have two families. You have your biological family. You have your church family. And um, really, your church family uh, is eternal. And uh, for some of us who struggle with biological family issues, church family is especially sweet. And for those who are fortunate enough not to struggle with biological family issues, you get double blessed. You have both, both families, but they're both important. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our savior and Christ Jesus our hope to my son Timothy grace mercy and peace from God the father and Jesus Christ our lord so that's that introduction we looked at last week That said Paul's relationship to Timothy is one of com- tremendous love and affection and commitment but also one of authority God has given him authority as an apostle and we said before as we head into parent into mother's day the role of an authority that God has given you does not negate the love and compassion and tenderness you have with your children. It's not one or the other. And so that's important as we look at this. And then Paul also makes it clear that he's an apostle called by God, commanded by God, not by his choice. And then those wonderful three words, grace, mercy, and peace. And we said grace was getting what you don't deserve. Mercy was uh, having taken away what you do deserve. And then peace with God as a result of that, and only through peace with him can we have peace with one another. So he lays that wonderfully beautiful picture of the gospel and his role in it, and then he moves in really to the very meat of the letter immediately. Verse 3, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. Father, this morning help us understand your word and apply it to our lives. Lord, Help, even help to sort of help us experience what Paul and Timothy were experiencing in fine ways, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, to connect to what we're doing in our life right here today. It's all over the place, Lord. So I just pray that you'd open our eyes and our ears and we would see that and we would leave today really knowing we've encountered you and we're stronger for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's, there's some urgency in this letter. <laughs> um I mean, he, he, the, that, the introduction, as I said last week, is not just wasted ink on paper. I mean, it's important. It, it's it's critical, and we we spent all Sunday last Sunday talking about those few words, and they're very important. But now he gets to why he's writing this particular letter, and he just he begins with, "Stay there," and it's not the first time he's told him to stay there. Remember, he says, "I urged you as when I, I urged you as when I was in Macedonia. I saw you before. Remain at Ephesus." Well, we're we're reading this letter, and and so we see one side of the conversation. But clearly, (laughs) Paul wouldn't begin the third verse there with, as I I urge you, as I've done before, to remain if Timothy wasn't planning on thinking of leaving. He's thinking of leaving. He's no doubt discouraged. He's despondent. And as we get into the letter, we're going to see that there's plenty of reasons to be discouraged and despondent. He's not the Apostle Paul. There aren't very many Apostle Pauls, all right? He's not Paul. And so people aren't relating to him the way they relate to Paul, and and we'll get into that later on. But Paul says, you remain there at Ephesus. Now, I'll talk to you as a pastor, but you can think about this and and, and flush it out in your mind even as as a follower of Jesus, maybe not in vocational ministry, but certainly perhaps as a, A teacher, or a deacon, or an elder, or having some role in ministry, or just trying to be a godly mother, a godly father, a godly husband, a godly wife. But I'll talk to you from the role of a pastor, especially. We all want to (laughs) quit. We all want to. We all want to stop. I mean, this 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 world we live in is a world of chaos and and it's a world of sin and it's a world of dysfunction and we're thrown out into it and we're to be salt and we're to be light and there are times when we feel like we're not making any difference, we're not having any traction, it doesn't really matter and the adversary just lays stuff on us and he brings guilt to us and he brings sorrow to us and he brings anxiety to us and he brings depression to us. He does. He works hard at that. You don't think for a minute that Satan's just leaving you and me alone, right? I mean, we we he's never leaving us alone. If you and I could have five minutes this side of heaven where Satan completely left us alone for five minutes, we would be ecstatic. We would, it, would be, it would be unlike anything in our entire existence. He is always pulling at us and tempting us and trying to discourage us and trying to get us to be angry and trying to get us to fight with somebody, trying to get us to be selfish. He's constantly doing that. The Scripture makes it clear he's scheming. He's always doing that. So a lot of this stuff that I feel, this discouragement, this despondency, this anxiety, this dread, this, all this stuff sometimes in ministry or just in being a husband or just being a, a dad or just trying to, whatever it is you do as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, we need Paul saying, hey, stay with it. Just remain. I mean, stick with it. You know, we don't stick with anything much anymore. Even back when I was a, when I was a little kid, you know, every, every so often in the mail, we would get these uh, uh, advertisements for um, uh, records. <laughs> back before you downloaded anything, right? And you could you'd get all these, you could, you, could, you could check off, these were the songs, the singles you wanted or the albums you wanted, right? It was the CBS or the Columbia Record Club, right? Remember that? But you had to sign up, and then they would see you know, the first were like pennies apiece, but then you agreed to buy them for like, Two or three years, people actually did that. They signed up for record clubs. People don't. People don't. We don't stay. We don't stick with anything anymore. I mean, now our music it's it's in this cloud. We just download it. We get rid of it. We move it. We delete it. I mean, we're we're so transient. Even more so. Even our phones. You know, we we got an app. We don't like that app. We got an update. We're always getting updates. My wife says you have not updated your phone. I said, well, it's working pretty good, like now. So. She needs you need to update your phone. I don't want to update my phone. She said, why not? I said, I don't know. I just don't want to do it. I just, I'm fine with it the way it is, right? Because as soon as I update it, they're going to have another update. So it just never ends. So, so, so there's an issue where, where, where we stick with something sometimes. And, of course, we can talk a lot about other things in our lives, too. But he said, I urge you to remain at Ephesus. I heard a pastor one time, and I've never forgotten it. Um. Because it just resonated with me. He talked about about on Mondays, particularly. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter sometimes how hard you work through the week to make sure everything's going to go okay on Sunday. It seldom ever goes perfectly well on Sunday, especially in a normative sized church, and um, where everybody has a lot of jobs and everybody's really busy. And so you know, and and then and then. Just many times when after you preach on Sunday, you're just, you, you, it, it it is, it is. I mean, Satan really does work on us. He wants to. I mean, he wants to rob the pastor of his joy. He he wants us to be discouraged. Clearly, I mean, if I was Satan, that's what I'd do too. I mean, so he focuses on us, and so many times on Monday mornings, we we can wake up feeling like it's not really mattering, not really making a difference. And being frustrated, and as I said, I heard this preacher one time. This young pastor, actually much younger than me, he said on Mondays. He said, "I would, I have this, I have this image in myself on Mondays, of driving a bread truck for a living." Anybody here drive a bread truck? There you go. He said, "You know, it's just like." You get in on Monday morning, and the truck smells like bread. That'd be great. He said, everywhere you go, every stop you make, people are glad because the bread is here, and it's fresh. He said, and most importantly, the bread doesn't have inconsistent giving patterns, and the bread doesn't commit adultery, and the bread doesn't send hateful emails to you about the way you're driving, and the bread doesn't criticize your family, and, and the bread doesn't fuss and fight with each other in the back. And he said, and, and also, if you lose consciousness for a minute and drive off the road and the bread falls into the river, well, then you just go pick up more bread. After all, it's just bread. You know. And by the way, when I'm driving, I can listen to sports radio. I don't have to talk to anybody. I don't have to encounter with anybody. And, but he said, the Lord always comes back and says, by my command, you're to be a pastor and you're to remain here. I'm sure there's more to driving a bread truck than I just said. But but his point is obvious. You know, people disappoint us. People discourage us. And so we have to keep focused on the task at hand, not on the people who discourage us. I'm going this today to Louisville, the Southern Seminary, and I'll be there for a while. And one of the things we say when we train young pastors to go and especially work in difficult churches, we say, you've got to do these things. You've got to preach. You've got to pray. You've got to... Love, and fourthly, you got to stay. You preach, you pray, you love, and you stay. And I'll be honest with you. Preach, praying, and loving and sometimes is the easy part. Staying is the hard part. And that's what, that's what Timothy is encountering here. Sticking with it, staying with it. I want to leave. I want to go. I want to I bail out. Is They're not responding to me. So he said, I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. Why? Now, this is really important why so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine and that's probably as far as we're going to get today because the other gets really meaty the first i mean the reason he gives is 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 doctrine i mean he doesn't say hey you need to stay there and you need and you need to just you need to show that you're a leader and you need to man up, and you need to not let these people roll over you, and you need, to, you need to get a plan, you need to get a vision, you need to talk about how this church is going to grow. He doesn't do any of that. He says the reason to remain, are you ready? The reason to battle, the reason to fight is doctrine? Really? I mean, isn't that something we all kind of want to avoid? I mean, who wants to come and talk about doctrine? I mean, that sounds really dry. It sounds really sort of narrow-minded, I mean, if you're, trying to, if you're trying to win people over, if you're trying to, to, to get people to like you as a leader, I mean, why do you want to focus on doctrine? <laughs> well, because the Apostle Paul five times was beaten with 39 lashes on his back. He couldn't even make out what his back looked like anymore. It was so, so disfigured. He, and when, when, Timothy, when Timothy's mother and grandmother came to know Jesus, Paul was stoned and left for dead and drug outside of town naked. Paul now is in prison, realizing he's probably going to be martyred at any moment. So Paul, Paul, remember Paul said, if Christ be not raised from the dead, I am the most foolish person ever on the face of the earth. In other words, I've done so much and suffered so much and given so much that it really does matter what we believe. And remember, if you go all the way back to two or three weeks ago, we talked about when Paul was there in, in, in the book of Acts and he told those people who wanted to make him a God, he said what? What, you, what you're believing, your, your, your faith is, remember the word, worthless. What we believe really matters. Now, if, if I was preaching this sermon when Dr. Reverend Farmer was here 150 years ago, everybody believed almost the same thing. But that's not the case anymore. And we're in a world where, where every day it's going to be harder and harder to stick with what the Scripture really says, what sound doctrine really is. But let me tell you something. Our world is a lot like the world of Ephesus. Ephesus was not a Christian community. It was not a place where the school systems and the government and everything else supported the Christian's worldview. It wasn't. Everything was opposed to it. And that's why one of the reasons there's so much stuff seeping into this church in Ephesus. And Paul says the way to deal with all of this... First and foremost is doctrine, or other words, truth. Teach the truth. What really is true. And you can't, you can't back away from that. You can't step away from that. You can't, you can't shade that. I mean, we, we we will either offend God by not believing the truth, or oftentimes offend the culture by believing the truth. And sometimes we can't do we're gonna be one or the other. Either you're going to offend the culture, or you're going to offend God. And, and that's what we're called to do, is not to be offensive, not to be jerks. We're called, to, we're called to people that to, to believe what's true and to hold on to that in a world where everything else is relative. It doesn't really matter what you believe. And I think I told you last time I was here. That's only true if, if you're getting what you want out of it, right? I mean, you know, if, I, if someone comes up and hits you in the face, and, and you... You bring charges against them, and the judge says, did he hit you in the face? And you say, yes. And he says, yeah, I hit him in the face, but actually, I don't think I really did. The judge says, well, if you don't think you did, then I guess you didn't. And it's what everybody wants to believe in their own heart and their own mind is true. All of a sudden, you care a lot about truth. I mean, at that point, you know that's not true. Well, how do you know what's not true? Why do you know what truth is? And that's what the culture says. How, why, 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 do you, why, why is your doctrine right and my doctrine wrong? Why is that? And, and we're going to unpack that. That's one of the wonderful things about Timothy. He really helps Timothy understand that. But don't lose sight of this fact, of all the things Paul could have encouraged Timothy to stay there and do, so that you can grow as a man, so you can become a better leader, so you can see the church grow, so you can impact the city. He doesn't say any of that. He says, so you can teach sound doctrine. Why? Because none of the rest of it matters if it's not based on a foundation of doctrine. None of it matters. Absolutely none of it. And what is sound doctrine? Well, he just gave it to us earlier when he said grace, (laughs) mercy, and peace. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which means that man is a sinner. He's not just lost his way. He's not just confused. Man is a sinner without hope which means that that, that God is the creator of all things and all the universe, and God himself, the creator, became the creation, was born of a virgin, literally born of a virgin, literally lived a sinless life here on this earth, literally laid down his life, and God literally took the sin of all who would be redeemed and laid it on his own son so that God's wrath for your sin and my sin, those of us who would be redeemed, would be satisfied. And then Jesus burst forth out of the grave and, and took what was to be sealed us off, and he made the tomb an entrance to eternal life. And now death doesn't cut us off. Death takes us through to eternal life. And he defeated forever sin, death, and the grave. And he arose, and he, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back someday. And what he says is true, and those are what we believe, and those doctrines are important and Satan is constantly trying to chip away at the truth. In your life, in my life, in the church, first thing, the Bible begins and Satan, the serpent, is just there. You ever think about that? He's just there. Now, look, you and I, in our minds, this side of heaven, we can't figure out why he's there. And there ain't any theologian in the world that can tell you exactly why he's there. The Bible doesn't tell us, or how he got there. But he's there, and he's in the garden, and he comes to Adam and Eve. What does he do? What's the first temptation that actually makes man fall? It was to not believe the truth. You surely shall not die. God doesn't mean what God means. That's it. And that's still true today. And it sounds so enticing, because don't you want to be like God? Don't you, want to, don't you want to be smart? Don't you want to be intelligent? Don't you want to be well-liked? Don't you want to, don't you want to be all of those things? And so it's, there's constant pressure. Satan still comes at us and tries to get us not to believe the truth. Because it's the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that sets us apart. It's the truth that gives us our power. And Paul is telling young Timothy, you've got to stay there. First of all, your battle's not over. It's not even begun. You've got to stay there, and you're battling for the truth for sound doctrine. And in order to battle for it, you have to know what it is. So this morning, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, that's the beginning part. Have you repented of your sin? Have have you acknowledged that you are without hope, without him? And have you you asked him to, to save you, and are you trusting him to do that? And if you haven't, any of these deacons, any of these elders, any of us would love to talk with you about that. But if you're here today and you do know Christ as your Savior, and you have followed him in in obedience and baptism, then in in, in a few moments we're actually going to go to his table. He's invited us to come to his table, those of us who are his children, and to commune with him and commune with the saints throughout all all, all of the church's history who've sat down at the Lord's table and remembered the truth of the gospel. And the truth of the gospel is the blood of Jesus Christ. shed so that we might live. The truth of the gospel is that his body was broken and is now nourishment. He's nourishment for us. The truth of the gospel is because of what he has done, we can come to the table and sit with him. That's the truth of the gospel, that we are now adopted into his family. We are chosen by him, and we don't ever want to back away from that truth. There's nothing that Satan could offer us that remotely compares to that. And so we hang on to that truth, and we battle for the truth, and we contend for the truth. Because as we're going to find out in the coming weeks, there's all kinds of ways the truth gets gnawed away at. And Paul gives Timothy really clear instructions on how to do it. But this morning, what I want you to leave here knowing is this. If you're a child of God, Satan is constantly at you trying to get you not to believe what you believe. I've told you before, maybe, I don't know. I've told a lot of people. I preach a lot of places. If I repeat myself, just whatever. <laughs> you know, I don't have any real problem trusting God. I, don't have, I really don't have a problem trusting God with my eternal security. I don't have a problem with that. I know, I, I believe in eternal life. I believe that he's prepared a place for me. I believe in heaven. But sometimes I have a hard time trusting him with my day-to-day life, my own physical health, my own... Issues with people and sometimes just anxiety and worry. I know what the truth is. The truth is, he knows the hairs on my head. The truth is he cares about everything in my life. I heard a pastor the other day say a lady came up to the famous preacher G. Campbell Morgan and said, G. Campbell Morgan and said, Pastor, does God really care about the little things in my life? And he said, Well, what makes you think he cares about the big things in your life? <laughs> You know, well, God's got this scale. Of course, he cares about everything. How, how do you even, how do we even comprehend that? That he, he, he cares, he, you know, when, when Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer, right? The model prayer, the template, he said what? He said, give us this day our, say it with me, daily bread. God cares about what happens in your life every day, daily So why does Satan come at me and gnaw at me and rob my joy and rob my security and rob all these things because I'm not contending for the truth? Satan is trying, just like he did Eve and Adam, he's trying to get me to doubt the truth. Just like he did in Ephesus, he was gnawing away at the power of that church by gnawing away at the truth. He will will chip away at your your joy as a father, as a wife, as as, as a church member, as a follower of Jesus. He'll chip away at that as as he chips away at that truth. and I have to battle it every day. And yet every day I know that nothing happens to me that God, I believe, knew before the foundation of the world was going to happen to me. Certainly nothing happens to me that's out of God's control. He's not up there. He's not some watchmaker that just spun this universe into being and goes, well, let's see what happens. That's not the truth. Some people say that, but that's not the truth. So, you know, I worry and fret over things I shouldn't worry and fret over. I, one of the things Mark Twain said is, you know, think of all the things you've worried about and almost none of them ever came true, which is true. But I worry and I fret over things and I obsess on things at times. God, Satan really robs my joy in that regard. As I said, I know, I know that he's redeemed me and I know that my salvation is secure If I were to die, I would go to heaven. But, man, what about today? What about tomorrow? What about these other things in my life? The other night, I was going to take a brief walk. We've got some new neighbors that live one house down and across the street. And they got a big white pit bull. And uh, he's young, but, you know, he can stand up to the fence and all. You know, you can see him, and he he barks pretty loud. And uh, so when I came out of the house that evening, I... the husband and wife were in the garage with, with their pit bull. And I thought, well, I'm not going to walk past it. That would be sort of just, I'm just going to turn and go the other way. I'll go the other side of the subdivision. So I turn to the left, and they're down to the right. I get to the corner of the subdivision, and, and I, I hear him yelling for his dog. So I turn, and uh, they, they didn't have it on a the leash. They just had it in the in, you know, in the... The garage with him, and it saw me, he saw me, and he just made a bolt for me, and I'm standing there, you know, and it's just this instant when I realize I'm not outrunning this dog, that's not going to happen, <laughs> and I'm not going to run away from him because that's not going to work, and so I just, you know, I just put my hands in my pockets, and I just stood there and started to, you know, kind of backed up a little bit, and he, he got to me, you know, well before the owner could get to me, and when he got to me, he just stopped. He wasn't, like, jumping on me. He wasn't happy. He just stopped and just kind of looked at me. And I, I didn't look at him. I mean, I know enough not to make eye contact. So I didn't look at him. And I just kind of stand there and, and start to back up a little bit. And, you know, pretty soon the owner comes and grabs him by the collar and apologizes. I'm so sorry. He's never done that before. And I said, it's okay. It's cool. That it could have ended very differently. I know some of you may have pit bulls and you think I'm being, uh, I'm being, <laughs> I'm being too stereotypical. But when you see one running at you, I'll tell you what, it'll get your attention. All right, It's not a, it's not a shih Tzu running at me, okay? I can kick <laughs> that thing. Um, so, you know, it was, it, was, it was a bit frightening. But I realized at that moment, God's in control of everything. And, um, you know, I have a dear friend who was riding his bike in Wyoming, and, and he's a state missions leader up there. He was attacked by a pack of dogs and spent several weeks in the hospital. But God was in control of that. For whatever reason, God... God was going to he'll use that for his glory and for that, my, our dear friend's benefit. I mean, that's another sermon for another day. But my point is, it, God was in control of that situation, and I was pretty calm about it I just, at that point. I'm thinking, you know, I really do. So why can't I be that calm about other things in my life? Does that make sense? Because it's Satan who robs me of my joy by getting me to doubt the truth. You want to find joy and purpose and meaning in life, stay with the truth. Satan will rob you. Look what Satan robbed Adam and Eve of. He robbed them of the Garden of Eden. He robbed them of fellowship with God. He robbed them of never having to experience death. He robbed them of all of that. That's what happens when we turn our back on truth. We lose our joy. Father, as we go through these next few weeks and look at how important this is, I pray you'll help us find ways to apply it to our life. Some some in here have never met you. Personally, and they need to do that today. They need to repent of their sin and call you, Lord, and and move. May may, may you move toward them in in, in saving grace, and and they respond by faith. Others of us are believers, and we're going to stand in a moment and we're going to walk and we're going to receive communion from these deacons. Lord, as we do, help us realize that it's not just a cup and a piece of bread we're taking. It symbolizes the reality that that you came and that you defeated sin, you defeated the grave. we have that power in us, and you will never leave us or forsake us or, or never leave us alone, and your grace is sufficient for whatever problem comes our way. And We can live confidently as Christians and joyfully as Christians because no matter what happens this side of heaven, we're not going to be alone. And no matter what happens in eternity, everything's going to be all right. <laughs> we're not going to have a disease for all eternity. We're not going to have a broken relationship with our family for all eternity. It's all going to be all right. So, Lord, help us realize that truth today and live accordingly, I pray.